Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. As always, I am Eric Nemchuk alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, a lot more happened in WNBA free agency as uh, we kind of went through the second week of action here. You excited? I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, we had some news uh, break kind of right after we stopped recording last week and and we'll get to that and then some stuff kind of, you know, trickling in over the course of the week. Uh, Nothing uh, quite as crazy, I guess, as as last week, but definitely enough to, to talk about for sure. For sure, for sure. Um, so where do you want to start on this? Because we have several moves for several teams here. I think we should start with the combination of the Indiana Fevers, couple of moves that they made over the, I guess, the last week or so in terms of re-signing, or at least the terms being announced in terms of re-signing John Tell Lavender, who they got in the midseason trade with Chicago, and then bringing in Daniel Robinson. Each of those on three-year guaranteed deals which one of these players should we start with, or, or how do you want to tackle this one? It uh, doesn't matter to me. Jantel Lavender was the one that was signed first, I believe. Yeah, I believe that that's correct. And then the terms, I think, took a little bit longer. I think that was announced before February 1st, and then uh, we didn't get the, the terms, obviously, until after. And then right, 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 right. came a few days after that. So, And um, by the way, um, before we get started, big shouts to all the WNBA media for getting this contract information. It's uh, it's It's really been helpful. You know, a few years ago, even just a few years ago, we didn't have this stuff. So uh, it really opens up a lot of discussion. So kudos, keep doing all the hard work. Invaluable resource for these reporters, you know, breaking these contract terms, you know, uh, against team uh, policy, as as each (laughs) press release will say. Um, But I guess we can we can start with John Tal Lavender. You know, uh, she was acquired by the team uh, over the course of last season, you know, midseason. Obviously, she missed the entire season last year. But I think the last time we saw her in Chicago, she was a pretty effective player. She can give you a little bit of positional versatility, you know, playing some four, some five. She might already be the best defensive big, like just in terms of kind of if we saw the same player that we saw in 2019, uh, that's on this fever roster. But going into her age 32 season on the start of this three-year deal, obviously their franchise hopes, uh, what what they kind of put a few important building blocks on in are, are two uh, post players and Lauren Cox and Tierra McCowan. So, I mean, w- what did you think about this one? Does it does it make sense for Indiana to to sign Lavender at all? Like the three year deal? Um, well, you- the signing itself, I'm okay with. Like they traded for her last season, so obviously they're not going to just let her go after not letting her play a single minute for them. Um, it was the years and the and and, and the guaranteed money that kind of that kind of surprised me, Stephen. Because Lavender, she's a player who is, while she has been pretty steady throughout her career. I mean, she's coming off a year, over a year of, of, of injury, wrong side of 30, as you mentioned, um, injury that seemed to be recurring with her foot. So, like, it, it kind of it went, went opposite of what they had done in the offseason up until the point. Like, they let Candice Dupree go. They let Erica Wheeler go. They let Natalie Achanwa go. So the thought process might have been, okay, so we're, we're kind of cleaning house of these veterans. We're going to, you know, be bad. Be bad. You know, because this is the year to be bad with this with this uh, 2021 draft class coming in. It was 2022, I'm sorry. But then they turn around and they give vets like Jantel Lavender and Daniel Robinson a lot of guaranteed money. So that uh, kind of sours me a tad. Yeah, and I think those three moves, letting those veterans go, was something I definitely agreed with. Um, I, I think even Wheeler, who uh, I think maybe you were – you know, maybe more, they, they should have tried to keep her, you know, in that camp. Uh, I was okay with them just kind of clearing house of those veterans and, and just moving on to something new. And, you know, the, the basketball fit with Lavender, it does make some sense. You know, she can give you some spacing as the third 
big, uh, you know, some spacing, you know, she will obviously, you know, takes a ton of those shots with her, her toe in the line, but, but she stands out there. She does have to be guarded out there. It makes sense with either Cox or McCowan. Um, but yeah, just like, you know, the, as, as you were saying, the, the years in terms of, you know, you're, in my opinion, you're, you're not really close to where you want to be as a franchise, unless you get a lot of growth from the players you already have on roster or a blue chip player through the draft lottery. Um, exactly. And, and kind of com- making this commitment to, to Lavender uh, and Robinson, who I think also, you know, helps them in, in a lot of ways from a basketball perspective. Like she gives you something defending the point of attack, which they desperately need. She's like, these two players are probably two of their best defensive players already. Uh, this was obviously the worst defense in WNBA history, as many people have pointed out before. Uh, so to have, you know, to bring in a guard who can give you something defending the point of attack, to bring in a, a, a solid defensive veteran front court player who, you know, hopefully can kind of uh, help Tierra McCown with her own pick and roll technique, because I do think that's been a strength of John Tell's, you know, and, and back to Robinson, like, She's definitely an upgrade athletically over anyone they had at this position. She's someone that can play with a little bit more pace. You know, we've talked a lot about how the Fever were dead last in transition, how there didn't really seem to be a lot of natural improvements on the on the current roster that would kind of, you know, help them in that regard. And, and D-Rob can definitely do that, even if she's not, you know, a great finisher in transition. She'll at least get out and and can create for others in there and but, you know, D-Rob comes with her own spacing issues, you know, especially if you're going to play with two traditional bigs all the time. And, you know, these, these two signings for three years specifically, they just don't really align with kind of where I would sort of be thinking in terms of like what the next steps are for this franchise. I know Tamika Ketchings had, had made that quote about not wanting to be in the lottery ever again, but that's just a misevaluation of kind of where you are as a team and as a, as a franchise, I think. So I think they're, they're going to help them, you know, not enough to get them out of the lottery. You know, these are two great moves to help them be the, the third seed in the lottery rather than the number one seed in the lottery. Yeah. See, the bottom line for me is this team is still closer to the draft lottery than it is to, contend, to contending for a championship. And it doesn't really help them do either, either tank or contend. So it's just like, well, you let some veterans go and tied up some guaranteed money and some other bets. So I, I don't know. And, and regarding Wheeler, um, I believe it was Julie Alleman is going to miss the season for Belgian national team commitments. I believe that's right. So that's, that's kind of played into why I, I thought they should have brought Wheeler back, but um, you know, maybe she didn't want to be back. You know, maybe, maybe she looked at this and was like, well, I can get my money elsewhere or I can play for a better team elsewhere. I just, I just really don't like this whole, you know, GMs will call it, oh, well, we're not rebuilding, we're retooling or we're reloading or something like that. Cliches that are thrown out there. I understand, you know, Tamika Catchings is a competitor. She's a few years removed from being in the WNBA playing, one of the greatest ever, obviously. And losing sucks. No one likes losing. But sometimes things need to get worse before they get better. And I'm just not, like I said, this is the, this is the season to be bad. Just go ahead and be bad with a lot of young players and then go from there. It just seems counterintuitive to where the fever are at right now. Yeah, I guess I had missed the news that Julie Aleman was not going to come over this year. I know it was yeah. obviously like expected for her to miss some time as, as a lot of foreign players or, or overseas players who have international commitments with their, with their national team. But um, yeah, I guess it, it makes a little bit more sense bringing her in. But the, the three-year deal, I think, is uh, – or keeping Wheeler, as you kind of had tied it into. But yeah, uh, I think this is a frustrating one, I think, especially for Fever fans who had been in the lottery for so long, and this isn't really going to help you get there, but it – 
it just is a sign of kind of the misunderstanding of sort of you know how close your roster really is to to contention because I mean obviously I'm a huge Kelsey Mitchell fan as as you are as well uh, but they just need a, a another blue chip player or two uh, at least in terms of really kind of getting where they want to be as a as a franchise here so you know kind of a, a bummer to be honest with you and I think both of these players can can help teams in the right situation like Dan, oh, sure. D Rob was awesome in Vegas last year and Lavender and her last stint in Chicago was was a very effective player in in my opinion as well so Steven, um, as of now, in a vacuum, this does make them a better team right now. Yeah, I mean, it's going to help them win games for sure, but like how many more games? And exactly. Not going to push you over into even being, you know, a first round by team, in, in my opinion, unless right, right. we get some some huge improvements from, uh, from McCowan specifically and, and if Cox is a little bit more close to the player that, that we thought she would be coming out of school. So um, should we move on to some news from Connecticut? Connecticut. Okay. Uh, that's your team. So go ahead. <laughs> we, we learned since our last recording that Bree Jones would be signing a two year deal guaranteed for both years for about 120 K each season. We learned the terms of the Jasmine Thomas deal, which I think would be a three year deal starting at 185 K and then a couple training camp contracts, uh, Sydney Wallace and Kamaya Smalls. I guess we should start with Bree Jones, you know, just in terms of like, a well, before the season started, I, I did, did not expect Bree Jones to be back in Connecticut just because, you know, they had a lot of things to take care of in free agency. She had a really, really good season. Like I, I didn't think that she would be available for this number that, that she ended up signing at, but obviously she, she, earned, things, she earned more, you know? Yeah, I think she did in, in this last season at least. Um, but, you know, a couple of things have changed since we kind of had that conversation way back in December. I think it was, you know, the Alyssa Thomas injury, obviously, like I think that kind of brought her down from, the full higher maximum that she, I think, has earned over the course of her career to about 20K less than that over the, the first couple of seasons. I think she's going to be starting right at about 200K. I'm not sure how much, you know, Alyssa Thomas's injury played into them wanting to bring Jones back. You know, they just kind of uh, thinking that they might need another front court player. But Jasmine Thomas, you know, also getting the the standard max just about starting at 185K that that is something that I, I did not really expect that number to be that high for Connecticut at least. So, you know, with, with Jones being available at, at that number, I think that kind of plays into them bringing her back a little bit as well. But yeah, I just, I just thought Jones would have bigger offers out there from, from maybe a, a Dallas or a New York or something like that. And, you know, she, she's a good player. She has proven that my evaluation of her coming into this season was you know, she, she's definitely surpassed that greatly in terms of, you know, what she had done the previous couple of years. But I just think even with this lower contract, you know, that she signed for, which we both think that she earned more of, like for Connecticut, I think this is just still kind of a, a misallocation of resources. Well, it's, it's a misallocation of resources. And, and I'm going to take this one step further because I don't know what Kurt Miller is going to do, you know, with, with, with the four, with the five, whatever. You're bringing John Quill Jones back one of the best centers in the WNBA who presents several areas of, you know, mismatches. If this move means that Brianna Jones is going to start next to John Cole Jones and that John Cole Jones is playing at the four, I don't like that because playing JJ at the four, it, it just takes away from so many of those mismatches that she gives you, you know, she already kind of floats around on the perimeter a little bit. You know, we, we, we both talk about, how we kind of wish her shot selection was a tad better, you know, cut out those turnaround two-point jumpers or what have you. I'm kind of concerned that she's going to be more encouraged to do that than she already is. And then the spacing, you know, I mean, she can shoot the three, but 
how much your team's going to respect that. And, and then it's just like the principle of the thing. Like you shouldn't be, when you talk about people playing out of position, you should be making those accommodations for your star players, not for your backup center. Like you shouldn't have to displace your star player because you re-signed your backup center to a two-year deal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. And it just makes no sense to me. And so, but like I said, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, they still have, well, actually, I mean, it depends on what they do with Liza Thomas, right? Because they re-signed her for a ton of money and she's not going to be playing, unfortunately. So one would surmise that they're paying her to sit out. So they're going to have to go with like 10 players with most of them being on minimum salaries, either vet minimum or, or rookie salaries. So how are they going to fill the rest of those spaces? You know, I wouldn't be too excited about bringing Bria Holmes back or Essence Carson or, or anybody like that. I, I think we are seeing, you know, they signed Kamaya Smalls. They, they, they signed uh, uh, Wallace, you know, never really got her shot in the WNBA, but maybe this is it. I think they need to load up on shooting now, like from every other position, because I still don't really see what this team is going to excel at, at the current, at the current moment, aside from maybe rebounding the ball. Yeah, and if I could just kind of build off what you're saying about pairing these two players sure. together, John Quell and, and Bree Jones. Like, Bree Jones is a good player. She, she definitely deserves to get a lot of minutes on a WNBA team. She's a great offensive rebounder. I think Alyssa Thomas and Dewana Bonner's rebounding numbers reflect how good of a box-out player uh, Bree Jones is on the defensive glass as well. Like, she had a, an extremely efficient offensive season and showed a lot more than I, I thought she would show defensively as well. But you, you do have a backup big on the roster already in Beatrice Montpremier, who, you know, wasn't a perfect rookie season, but definitely gave you some, some really impressive flashes last year. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, like you are putting your, your best, your franchise player in a position that isn't her best position to succeed in order to play Bree Jones more minutes and, and kind of play those two together. Possibly again, we, we don't know that that's what they're going to do, but you have to expect them to try that at least a considerable amount. And Kurt Miller already said he's going to try those lineups. So you know, my, my preference definitely would have been at least, you know, with what they kind of, the options they had available was to see Dewana Bonner at the four, something we've seen for, for long stretches of a, a season before, starting next to a center in the past who quite, quite frankly isn't as good of a rebounder as John Quill Jones is and, and Brittany Griner. Obviously she has her own strengths and weaknesses that are, that are different from John Quell's, but just give yourself an option to space the floor a little bit, play a little bit more modern of a game here, even outside the poor offensive fit for John Quell and Bree Jones, you know, with John Quell's spacing, not meaning as much as a four, as it does a five, like John Quell is much more effective as an inside player than, than an outside player, even though she does bring you that, that three point threat, but even defensively, like, I don't think this makes, like, I don't think John Quell is, is like, she's more suited in my opinion to defend closer than the basket than, than to defend you know more in space so I, I think you're just you're just making things a little bit worse uh, all around to for the sake of playing who you perceive your five best players are and Bree Jones probably is better than any other wing they have in terms of like a, a Kyla Charles or something just in a vacuum but it doesn't really make it a better basketball fit with the players you have already but uh, I did want to talk about Kamaya Smalls a little bit as they they're bringing her in for a training camp contract were you familiar with her coming into the draft at all? Is, it, is this a player that you watched at all at James Madison? No, not really. Um, I, I need to do better at watching my mid-majors. So I, I really had no idea who she was, honestly. And that's, that's totally on me. She seemed to have make, uh, make quite a few fans out of, out of Fever fans pretty quickly, but I, I don't know. I think the sample size from her, uh, her time in Indy was pretty small. Yeah, for sure. Seven games, 100 total minutes last year. She took 20 field goal attempts 
for the season, seven for 12 from three, two for eight from two. So, you know, even within those limited minutes, she only had a 10% usage, which is, you know, just about as low as you'll see for any rotation player in the league. I mean, I think it was a little bit telling, even if perhaps, you know, damning with faint praise a bit that Indiana would often assign her to guard the the best perimeter option on the court, you know, whether that was a Benajah Laney or she was vacillating between guarding Diana Taurasi and Skylar Diggins-Smith, depending which one of those players were on the floor. So, but she would also often guard the the premier perimeter option in terms of whether that was a one through three, she was, she was kind of handling that matchup. And, you know, on ball, I, I was pretty impressed with her defensively. You know, she can get through a screen pretty well. She, she played pretty good pick and roll defense a little bit, you know, less sold on her as a, a team defender, but of course that can definitely be, you know, instilled with, with better and more, frankly, just more pro coaching. You know, she did only play the seven games and things did kind of improve from a team defensive standpoint, I think as, as the season went on, as her season went on, you know, you know, didn't really seem to have a ton of like confidence in her dribble for a perimeter player. I think she will probably be primarily used as like a spot up shooter. Uh, the, the one thing that I thought that was outside of her uh, lack of, aggression with the dribble that was a little bit troubling is that she like crashes the glass a ton on offense for a wing player and you know she did manage to come down with a few offensive rebounds but she really kind of opened herself up to get beat in transition defense get you know take herself out of the play a little bit on that end so I I know you know when you're kind of a rotation player or or fighting to be a rotation player you're just kind of looking to make a play one way or the other but you know you're 5'10 you're you're only going to be able to pull in so many offensive boards but you know overall I think she her shot from outside even though we only saw a few of them it it looks pretty good she can defend I think on the wing pretty well from a few different positions so I like Connecticut giving her a shot you know I don't know too much about their other training camp invite that we talked about Sydney Wallace I haven't really seen her play but Smalls I think definitely has a a good chance of making this team and cracking the rotation you know I I like what she brings better than a player that you had mentioned like a Bria Holmes or something like that. So where did the sun go from here it's 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 tough because you've got I mean, you're you're paying like a sixth of of your salary cap to a player who's not going to be playing, so it's and, and how do they and that not only has an effect on the books, but obviously Alyssa Thomas has her presence on the court means so much to this team. How do they need to adjust in order like moving forward here? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think there's really any way that you're going to like suspend her for the season and, and get that salary off the books. So it's going to be you know, a bit of a lost season, not in that they're going to be terrible because they'll probably be, you know, the the sixth or the seventh seed or something like that. Again, you know, missing one of their best players. They'll have a, a little bit less of an identity, I think, um, because you don't have that sort of like one person transition offense. But, you know, hopefully a full season out of uh, their backcourt players playing together in January and, and Thomas, Dewana Bonner seconds. It's just a bummer that you're not going to get a season of this core all playing together yeah. until year three of this Bonner contract, you know, yeah, they, really sucks. obviously with, with John Quell choosing to sit out and, and we don't begrudge her for that at all, but you know, just the way things played out with the, the injury to AT, it looked like this was going to be, they, they kind of pushed all their chips in, right. Moving on from Courtney Williams and Shakina Strickland and bring in Duana Bonner for, you know, what could definitely be considered a shorter title window, but one with a little bit more star upside and, you know, it just hasn't worked out. So it's, it's a bummer in that regard, I think. It is a bummer for sure. Um, okay, now let's move on to a player who I think the Sun would be would have been you know well off in signing. Uh, Tiana Hawkins. She signed with Atlanta. Yeah, I've, I love this move for Atlanta. We talked a little bit last week about how the the Cheyenne Parker move for Atlanta. You know, obviously added a ton of talent, but there was just no real way for them to play 
a lineup with a balanced floor. And, and this changes that, you know, Hawkins obviously is coming over from Washington is, is well, uh, well versed in playing outside the perimeter. So now you have a four that can really open things up if you are kind of staggering Elizabeth Williams and Cheyenne Parker and playing one of those two players at center when they aren't playing together. What, what did you think about this one? Uh, it makes sense. You know, I mean, I think it was pretty clear that she was going to be out of Washington and that, you know, as we can talk about this, we're going to be talking about this later as well. They just didn't have enough money to go around and she's very much a, a specialist, a situational player. And, you know, like you said, like you alluded to, her outside shooting does look a lot better next to Elizabeth Williams and or Cheyenne Parker. So I, I think it's a solid, if not spectacular signing. Maybe she'll be like a sneaky good fit in Atlanta because uh, her outside shot has tended to run hot and cold throughout her career. Like she shot below 30% from three last season in a larger opportunity. So ultimately it makes me wonder, like, is she going to be able to handle like a higher usage role or more minutes, or is she just going to be utilized as this floor spacing specialist? That's it's kind of like a, like a high floor, low ceiling signing, if that makes sense. But I like the fit, especially next to their, their backcourt players because it does give them someone who who can like you they can like drive and dish to at least yeah and you know statistically speaking as you were alluding to she she hasn't been the most you know consistent year over year shooter from behind the arc but you know more importantly to me she gets guarded out there and now you actually you can Mm -hmm. run a lineup or a couple different lineups where you know you can run the spread pick and roll that Nikki Collin wants to run when you have, you know, Shakina Strickland, Tiana Hawkins, and, you know, maybe either like a Blake Dietrich or Courtney Williams kind of spacing the floor around either like a Kennedy Carter and Cheyenne Parker pick and roll or a Kennedy Carter, Elizabeth Williams pick and roll. And like, whether you are trying to win as many games as possible, or your goal is just to put Kennedy Carter in the best developmental situation as possible, like the three big rotation of, uh, Cheyenne Parker, Elizabeth Williams, and Tiana Hawkins, like soaking up the bulk of those minutes playing with each other, I think makes a lot more sense than anything they had before bringing in Hawkins and anything else that was kind of on the free agent market in terms of giving you a four who can actually space the floor and isn't uh, going to kind of clog things up for for whoever else is on the court with them. Okay, so who's out? Because they, they've got Monique Billings, who I know you're not, you're not a big fan of, and they've also got Kalani Brown and Brittany Brewer in the front court there. I you know, Brewer didn't play a lot last season. Last season, I think she's probably going to get cut. But, like, they traded for Kalani Brown, and she – I mean, she had – I believe she had COVID, right? And she showed up um, – it took her a little while to get into basketball shape. I don't know if she was ever in basketball shape. Kind of dis- kind of disappointing to me. They could both probably go, right? Brown would be the one that I hang on to. I, I think Brown has a, a little bit more of a place in a rotation in terms of she – she can kind of just give you some buckets and on the second unit, you know, she's not going to get completely beasted out there. You know, she doesn't have, I think that maybe one elite skill that Monique Billings has. Billings obviously a great rebounder, but she can just give you a little bit more on, on both ends and, you know, can score the ball for you a little bit. So, you know, Brewer, like you said, probably won't make this roster. I would be looking to move on from Monique Billings coming into her fourth season. You know, she'll be a restricted free agent after this. I, I wouldn't really have, any interest in, in bringing her back? I think, you know, just from kind of what she gives you in terms of, you know, she, she's taking everything from two point range. She's a 40% shooter from two that that's not really good enough as a, a WNBA big. I, I don't think she's, she's a particularly good defensive player. I think Brown's ceiling is just a little bit higher, even if last year was a bit of a lost year for her. I'm kind of curious what, what the market would be for a player like Billings. 
I mean, it, it seems like the general consensus is a little bit higher on her than, than I am, right? I mean, they, they'd probably be able to get, like, a second-round pick or something like that at least, right? Yeah, you know, I, I would no, say that's realistic. No natural fit necessarily comes to mind in terms of, oh, this, this <clears> team <throat> go out and, you know, uh, go out and acquire Monique Billings. There are Monique Billings away from being a, a championship. Right, right. Okay. Well, um, moving on, Phoenix Mercury. They, uh, this has actually happened a couple weeks ago. I don't think we got to it. They signed Nia Coffey. Is that she accepted their, their qualifying offer? Um, and it's not a training camp contract. I'm not really sure. I don't understand the priority here, but it happened. We can, we can talk about it. Um, they also re-signed Kia Vaughn at center, re-signed Donna Tarazi. Duh, like everyone expected that to happen. And they actually withdrew their qualifying offer from Shatori Walker Kimbrough, which I was a little surprised with, but then I kind of went hunting for, for reasons. And I was like, yeah, I could see why. Yeah, but they also are just like they they can't afford to bring her back mm-hmm. at this point with the four max contracts that they have on the books. Bringing back Kia Vaughn for you know not a huge contract like one hundred and ten thousand dollars, but unless Shatori Walker Kimbrough was going to sign her qualifying offer like Nia Coffey did, there wasn't really an avenue to be able to bring her back. They have three players making the super. They have three players taking up just under half of their salary cap. That's insane. Yeah, and a fourth player taking the standard, yeah, making the standard max. So, um, okay, where do you want to start here? I think we can start with coffee. I, I guess you know I am not the biggest fan of of her game. I you know I, I don't think she really gives you anything as an offensive player. I know she did battle some injuries last year. Um, she's going to be like a super low usage offensive player wherever she goes. But you know maybe if you just have elite offensive players around her you know her not being guarded isn't that big of a deal but I'm not even sure it was necessarily a priority as much as it's just kind of you know standard operating procedure where you just you know offer these inexpensive players you know especially a team like Phoenix who just needs to get some low money contracts on the books to fill out their roster you know you just offer the qualifying offer and and coffee in her management team obviously didn't think there was going to be anything else out there in terms of larger money so you know she she took the deal and i guess one less roster spot that that phoenix has to fill yeah that's that's pretty much the only way i can i can look at it i'm not a fan either i and i don't really understand the fit on this team but it's 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 whatever um it, I, I don't really under, understand the fit either except for you know kind of what, what i was just saying unless you just think you have so much offensive talent around you know everywhere else that you bring in what you perceive as a defensive specialist, although I, I would not consider her a defensive specialist. Neither neither would I. But at the end of the day, you have Tarazi, you have Diggins Smith, you have Griner. Those are the players who are going to win you a title if you get that far, not not a, not any of coffee. So it's it's kind of splitting hairs at that point, I think. So they did re-sign Kia Vaughn, who was an unrestricted free agent, gave her a healthy, healthy chunk of change. Um, I think I'm a little lower on this than you, but it's like, for me, it's okay. Yeah, to me, it's okay. It's okay. As well. You know, I think there's, uh, you know, for, for the, the resources they had, you know, maybe they could have just gotten something as like a veteran minimum, but I thought Vaughn was, was pretty good for them last year. You know, I think Turner got the, the attention in terms of, you know, what she brought defensively because of obviously the blocks per game and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the only real good defensive numbers this team put up was when these two players were playing together, you know, so it's hard to assign it was just one or the other one. I think, Vaughn was a little bit maybe more the the steady hand, you know, isn't going to kind of kill you anywhere outside of, you know, maybe not being the most mobile player, but she gave them more than I thought she was going to for sure. You know, I thought this was a little bit of a questionable use of a roster space coming into this season. And she was part of what made them a passable defense the second half of the year. And with all the uncertainty around Brittany Griner and the low 
low-ish cost that this came with. You know, I, I think it makes some sense. Okay, that's that's a good point because we're not sure if Brittany Griner is going to be on this team heading into 2021. So they are going to want to have at least some familiarity heading into into the season, right? Yeah, and, you know, I, I like this more than, say, bringing, like, hoping that Jessica Breland maybe at this stage in her career would be an upgrade over f- what Vaughn gave them last year. Yeah. And Breland really played into their their plans, you know, before everything played out uh, COVID-wise and stuff like that. So, you know, I think Vaughn is a, a better fit for this team, uh, maybe a better player in a vacuum, not sure, but definitely a better fit for this team, in, in my opinion, than Breland would be. Okay, so um, they re-signed Diana Taurasi. <laughs> Nothing to see here. She is the franchise. She will continue to be the franchise. Um, let's talk about Shatori walker Kimbrough a little bit because I think this is a player both of us were really excited to see in Phoenix. And it's interesting. Like, she put up the shooting numbers that I was expecting her to put up, 43.1% from three. But, Stephen, it just seemed like she didn't stay on the court for very long. Like, Brondell favored Cunningham, Sophie Cunningham in most situations. Is it because Walker Kimbrough is, is really slight and kind of short or, or what? I don't know. I, this was one that where the coaches know more than we do, right? Because her Absolutely. minutes yeah. really kind of like bounced around. You know, there's some 30-minute some games, some eight-minute games. Like even the stretch where Phoenix like didn't have any bodies, like she wasn't playing a ton of minutes, you know, when they were going into games with like, you know, seven players or whatever it is. So, you know, the, the offensive numbers were, were kind of there, like you mentioned. League average true shooting, which is completely fine. She shot 43% from three, which is, you know, all you can really ask from – uh, a player in her role. So this was something that I was pretty high on going into the season. It didn't quite play out as, as well as I think either of us thought, but yeah, I think, you know, her, her next team, it, it could be something where she, she makes a big difference for them. She could be a great fit in, you know, let's say a, a Seattle or something who is running kind of low on options mm. in terms of replaceability or, you know, maybe she'll just end up in a worse team and, and play kind of a, a, an unspectacular role. Yeah, I was going to guess Connecticut because like they need shooting so badly, but the uh, the, the the cap there is is getting kind of kind of sketchy. But yeah, maybe Seattle because we 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 still don't know what's going to happen with uh, Natasha Howard or Sammy Woodcomb, so that that could be an option as well. Uh, should we move on to uh, Washington? I suppose Washington. Okay, so they did a couple things that we uh, were we heard that they were going to do. You know, they re-signed Latoya Sanders one year, one hundred seventeen thousand unprotected, same salary she would have made in twenty twenty. They also re- they also resigned uh, Tina Charles one year 175,000 protected same salary as 2020 and then in a uh, in a lesser move they uh, traded for Erica McCall which ended up being a sign and trade 2022 third round pick for Minnesota and they actually signed her for a little more than the minimum uh, two years 72,000 next year where do you want to start with this uh, well I wanted to get your thoughts on Erica McCall she she never really jumped out to me one way or the other so what what do you think about her game and her fit here well. First of all, the McCall move suggests to me that Nieselman will not be playing in the WNBA, at least not right away this summer. Because assuming like assuming that they re-sign Natasha Cloud, because remember she's suspended expired contract, so they'll have negotiating rights with her as well. They're not really going to have a lot of room otherwise to re-sign, to um, do anything other than another minimum contract player, I believe. And you've got your front court rotation set now. Deladon, Heinz Allen, McCall, Charles, and Sanders. So I don't know. Going out of your way to make a move like that just seems like, okay, we're plugging the we're plugging the hole as our fifth big, and whatever happens with Miesman happens with Miesman, you know. Um, sure, but you also do have the three, you know, Stella Johnson, Jackie, Jamelos, and Shuksa in all on training camp contracts. I mean, they could just let go of all three of those uh, players and have a little bit more room for Miesman, and then. But again, McCall wouldn't be 
guarantee. So maybe if McCall comes back, they just, I mean, if uh, Miesman comes back, you know, this uh, McCall's deal is uh, unprotected, so they right. could move on from her. But yeah, it, it is, I guess, just a little bit of an insurance policy. With- that was that was kind of the second half of my thought process was that if Miesman does decide to come back, they still have room to like accommodate her. They just cut bait with some of these uh, unprotected contracts. But yeah, um, McCall, I mean, I, th- I think she's, she is what she is. She's a, by all accounts, a great locker room presence, a player who's going to give 110% every time she's out there on the floor. And then just depth, you know, like you don't know what the situation is with, with, with Deladon, you know, she's, she can miss games. Uh, Tina Charles and Latoya Sanders, both on the wrong side of 30 Sanders, especially. So it's just something where, you know, you want to have a steady, uh, a steady Freddie out there for, for depth. And that's what I think McCall brings. And again, just the fact that I want to go back to this, the fact that Tebow went out and did this move instead of just waiting to see who, who falls through the waiver wire inevitably makes me think that he, he likes what he sees. And listen, from my perspective, if Mike Tebow likes it, I love it. Okay. In my opinion, he's one of the best, he's one of the sharpest minds in the game. One of the best, if not the best GM in the game. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, where should we go from here? We should probably just start with Tina Charles, right? This is something I think we've uh, we've been waiting to talk about for a long time. And now that we have some certainty that Tina Charles will be on the Washington Mystics, we should address it. Yeah, and it definitely makes more sense without Emma Miesemann, right? Because it's just one more good player that, that they have. Uh, but, you know, when we were kind of comparing this to uh, an Elena Deladon, Emma Miesemann, Latoya Sanders front court. That was before Maisha Hines Allen really even had her breakout. So um, it's it's going to be an interesting dynamic. That sort of four player front court for those those two spots. And obviously, I, I expect them to slide Deladon up to the three. Uh, plenty, you know, to play alongside of two out of Hines Allen, Sanders, and Charles. But you know, just from a basketball fit, it's it's a little bit clunky. I would say. Why do you say it's clunky? Well, um, it's clunky because the last time we saw this team, they were, uh, they had otherworldly spacing. They, they were leading the league in spot up uh, efficiency and spot up frequency because they were, they were playing five out basketball. They were moving the the ball a ton. They were generating open threes and and canning them. And, you know, Charles wants to kind of live uh, either on post-ups or, you know, between 15, 17 feet. And she hasn't been particularly effective offensively in a while. And so much of, of my reaction to this was just not even thinking that she's terrible or she's washed or it's just, it was insane to me the thought that she makes them better than what we saw the last time this team had its group together with, you know, Tolliver and Deladon and Misamin. you know, they maybe still have enough with Charles, but I, I don't think it will be because of Charles, if that makes sense. Okay. That, yeah, I, I get that. And that, I think that was when they first traded for her, that was kind of my thought as well. But now that the picture is a little clear, okay, Miesemann might be sitting out the season. You have a, a really legitimate backup in Heinz Allen now. And the rest of the roster kind of looks a little different. You signed Alicia Clark as well. And for the record, like, I don't think you can, you can take that 2019 team and just roll it back out there again because you don't have Chrissy Tolliver anymore. And you're not going to have Emma Miesemann for at least part of the season. So you're, it's going to be looking different either way. I'm not going to say she's going to make them better or worse. I'm just going to say she's going to make them look a little different because – like, I think neither of us are very high in Tina Charles as a player, but I, I just, I just like hash this out. I, I like to consider the following, like looking at it from Mike Tebow's perspective. This is her first year not being like the primary option for a team in a very, very long time. And even like in her later seasons in New York, she became much more willing to share the basketball. 
I think it was, was that 2016 where she was second in MVP voting where she led New York in like every statistical category? I mean, obviously her usage rate is, is through the ceiling in that season. So you'd expect her to at least pass the ball a little bit, but you know, that plus her salary, she could probably make more than what they signed her for. I think she's probably just fine with being a complimentary player now. This is, like you said, this is by far the most shooting she's like ever played with. Teams are not going to be able to just load up against her like they did in New York. Like in New York, you saw her getting double teamed on almost every possession. And she's also playing with a coach who she loves, which I don't think should be understated. And let's be honest to a coach who is, is better than most of the coaching she's had since they were initially, um, you know, partnered up in Connecticut. So it's going to give them different looks. You know, I understand the, the hesitation where like, okay, they're not going to be able to manufacture open threes or as, as clean of a spot up game. But the second Chrissy Tolliver left, that, that, that went out the window, in my opinion. So I think you kind of have to adjust what you're doing here. And, and I'm just going to be put, put my faith in a really good coach who's been doing this for a very long time, who knows a player, and who gets the best out of his players. They, you, Tina Charles, in the past, yes, she has lived almost exclusively in the post or at that elbow, which we both agree is a terrible shot, especially for her. But I think the looks are going to be a lot different from her. As long as that, that elbow jumper is like cut out of her game or it's not the primary thing you're going to, as you saw it so often in New York, then I think we're fine because she's going to be in the post, yeah, but she's going to have so much spacing around her. Like they're not going to be able to double her that often. So I don't know. I, I think we need to give this, a, give, this a little, give this a try. Yeah, sure. So as you were kind of alluding to, and this is the the extreme example, right? The 2019 version was the worst of it. You know, 40% of her shots coming from outside of 10 feet and inside the three-point line. And and she was a 40% shooter from that range. He turned is, it over more than she assisted. The team was yeah. better with her off the court. Like it's that. Not, yeah, it's, it's it all star considered. Yeah, it was um, weird. But I mean, let me just ask you, like, the, the Tina Charles buy-in, it's, it's all there. She's ready to, to just do whatever's asked of her from a coaching perspective and whatever's going to kind of fit within what's going to optimize this team. Like, what does that look like from a role perspective? Well, that's a good question um, because they also brought Latoya Sanders back, who was a huge part of that dominant 2019 squad. Um, I think Charles is probably going to start. I don't think you go out and acquire a player of her caliber or a player of her stature, if you will. And don't, you know, invest heavily in her minutes. Bring, putting Deladon at the three, that is a good point. But they just went on and got Alicia Clark. So where is she going to play? So I, I think uh, I think Mike Tebow now has enough versatility and depth to where he can stagger his lineups and maybe put Tina Charles up against some second units where she can really go to work. I'm not going to call Tina Charles a defensive stopper because I think we can both agree that Sanders is better on that end. But Sanders is getting up there in age. He's going to be she's 34, going to be 35 in September, I believe. And I just be worried of like of like leaning on her as much as they did previously, especially against players like Griner and Cambage, like these really dominant low post players. Tina Charles is not going to be able to handle them one on one either, but it just helps to have another vet who has been there before and who has, you know, she knows how to defend them. She's 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 been there before. She's been at that level. So I don't think it's going to be from a role perspective. First of all, she's not going to be their number one option. Like I said, I don't think she's even going to be their number two option. She's going to have to function within a pass heavy system that still emphasizes the outside jumper. Maybe, you know, I talk about floor space and making things easier for her inside. Well, maybe her being inside will make it, will make things easier for them outside. I don't know if that makes sense. What I just said, but no, I think so. Especially, you know, if, uh, as you were saying, if she is going to live on the low post they're they're not going to, 
double Tina Charles with everything else that they have going around uh, offensively. But, you know, just from like a, a lower usage standpoint, like accepting a, a lesser role, you know, it's been pretty much a decade straight of 30% usage for Tina yeah. Charles. So it's, it's hard to kind of, I'm not saying it's impossible and that she won't do it, but it's just kind of hard to imagine what, you know, a 22% usage or, or maybe she's, you know, just a lower or lower usage player with the starters out there and, and the bench lineups are really where she can go to work. But to me, you know, I think there, there is a path, right, where this makes sense, where she just buys into being as much of a force defensively as she can be. She goes from, you know, letting... Uh, Amanda Zowie B take on the toughest front court assignments because she was just such the focal point of the offense to, to now she's taking on the Cambages and the grinders in that primary matchup. And, you know, the help will come obviously, but, but she'll be the one kind of, uh, you know, taking on that burden. Uh, and she does bring a little bit more size and strength, I think from in, at that position than any of their other options have yeah. defensively. So, you know, it does give them another element and, you know, yes, the, the spacing will be there for sure. They'll have a ton of lineup versatility options in terms of whether they just want to surround her with four shooters or just put her up against bench lineups. Like, uh, you know, having Leilani Mitchell and Tina Charles attack benches is a, a pretty darn good option, obviously. Heinz um, Allen. Yeah, Heinz Allen, again, another one for sure. So, yeah, I mean, but like <laughs> maybe the spacing around her will, will be so good that she's, you know, back to finishing better than 50% around the rim like she did the last time we saw her. You know, obviously – She's, she's not going to command the attention that, that she did there uh, for all the reasons we just stated. But I think it, it's even the optimistic expectations of her adapti- adapting her game should expect her to be no lower than like, you know, 25% usage and maybe cracking 55% true shooting for the first time in her career. But, you know, we also kind of had a similar conversation with obviously a much different player in Angel McCautry. Yeah, who, exactly. Uh, had to kind of adapt her game in a lot of ways and had – in, in so many ways, her best season as well and played, you know, 20 minutes a game. Uh, I don't know if Tina Charles will be playing 20 minutes a game, but so the path is there. I think I'm, I'm lower on it for sure than the general consensus, but also higher on it than I probably was a year ago. Okay, so where is this Mystics team as, you know, as currently constructed with everything else going on? Like, if you look at teams' rosters right now, assuming that, assume Natasha Howard will be back in Seattle, assume Brittany Griner will be back in Phoenix, just for now. Where does this Washington team rank? There's five teams that I think are, are going to be pretty darn good. You know, this Washington team is one of them. Seattle, if, if they keep Howard and, you know, everyone else is, is back outside of Clark. Chicago, Vegas, and Minnesota. I think those are the five teams that are going to kind of be competing for that, that second buy. For me, if, if everyone shows up this year, like Vegas is, is a clear number one. I think, you know, Chicago, Washington, Minnesota, and, and maybe Seattle are, are kind of all in that, that second tier okay, together. So you got a second tier, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's obviously very early, and we don't really know who's even coming over or anything like that, but, but that's kind of how it looks like to me. Okay. Because I was going to say, like, this, this looks like a third, third best team at worst right now. Um, like, I, I like how they, they're, they're kind of taking their shot here at, at a championship. Yeah, we're going to see, we'll see what happens with Charles and her role. You know, what, what will Heinz Allen be like? When that, her role is obviously going to be scaled way, way, way back. How will Alicia Clark fit into the system? Assuming they're bringing Natasha Cloud back as well. This is still a really deep and really scary team and really well coached. So there are some other things that happened. Uh, or did you want to talk about anything else here? I don't really have any bigger topics that to, to catch up on, I guess we can kind of go through some of the things that, that we didn't quite mention the aces extended Dierka Hamby. I think that's a, a great move for both sides. Um, course, yeah. 
Joyner Holmes was signed to a training camp contract. How, how do you feel about her chances of making that team? Uh, not good. Not good. Um, we'll we'll I, get into it more when we do the, the Liberty preview, but I wouldn't expect her to be on the roster. Okay, that's fair. Um, they also, apparently the Wings re-signed Kayla Thornton, but oh. there's nothing on that aside from the WNBA.com transaction page. So knowing the WNBA website. <laughs> Did you see that announced anywhere outside of the transaction oh. page? Like, Okay. And it's weird because you would think that like uh, a stalwart of a franchise like that would be, there'd be some fanfare. Like how, how is the WNBA website getting this, but like the wings don't make an announcement or anything. I, I don't know. That's it's weird. But for now, Kayla Thornton's back in Dallas apparently. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I guess if that's all, then, then we can kind of wrap up. This is a, a fun one. Um, uh, I feel like we were, or maybe me specifically was uh, a little bit more negative than I like to be on, on the show. Every team we talked about, I think <laughs> outside of maybe Tiana Hawkins uh, was on the, the negative side, but well, you know, you're being honest, you're being yeah. honest. And that's, and that's good to have, that's good to have in, in, in coverage and, and discussion. You know, we, we don't want it to be like, well, every player is the best and every team rules and, and the WBA is totally flawless. You know, that's, it's not honest. So we appreciate the discourse. Cool. So I, I can wrap us up here. Uh, thank you it. all so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate the support. Please, if you want to support the show further, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your uh, podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcast Manager. We are on Spotify. Uh, Eric, did you have any uh, writing that you wanted to plug? Oh, no, no writing for now, but I did want to say a big, big, big thank you to Miles from Queen Ballers Club. Um, he recently published a, a list of WNBA and women's basketball-related podcasts, and we made the cut. So uh, thank you so much, Miles. Thank you so much, Queen Ballers Club, for the, for the plug and for the, uh, the engagement there, the, uh, what do you want to say, the exposure. We really, really appreciate it. We're really honored to be a part of a list like that alongside some really dedicated, some really sharp, some really awesome people and content creators. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's really awesome to see. Well put. Um, thank you, Miles, and, and thank you, everybody, for listening. All right. Take care, everybody.